Well, good morning all. It's great to see you. Great to see your faces this morning. Um, more and more as we, as we gather, it's nice because we come less, less off Zoom and more face-to-face, which is, a lovely, which is a lovely thing to be able to do. Happy Mother's Day. It's great to see lots of mums and people here today. Uh, I love these opportunities like Mother's Day and Father's Day and, and these opportunities that, the, that our world acknowledges certain days of the year, um, certain people, certain events. I like these opportunities on a Sunday because it gives me the privilege, it gives me the opportunity to share with you a few thoughts on this um, and so I want to I be able to do that uh, this morning as well. I want to read from a certain passage that I hope will encourage you all and no matter where you are in life, I hope it does encourage you. Uh, God is a God who, our God is a God who doesn't uh, look externally. He doesn't look at the external things. He doesn't look at you outwardly and think, oh, you're pretty. He looks at everyone, sees outwardly the beauty of how, what he's made. He doesn't look and say, oh, you've made yourself more beautiful. He doesn't look like that. He doesn't look and think to yourself, oh, what happened to you? He doesn't look like that. That's not, that's not the God that we serve. God looks at the people he created, every single one of them, and says, wow, look at you, so beautifully and wonderfully made. He looks at every single person and looks then deeper and thinks, to them, and, and he con- he's concerned with what's going on in the inside and the power of the emotion and the experience that's going on in the inside because he wants us to be free. And I love that about God because he continues to chip away at our lives and continues to do what he needs to do in order for us to be from within people who live freely for him, people who live as he's designed us to live. And that's what I love about God. Humanly, we all look outwardly. Oh, he's a happy man. She's a happy woman. Oh, they've got everything. Oh, they've got it made. We look outwardly, don't we? We consider the things that are going on outwardly for people, but we have no idea what's going on inwardly for them. And so I thank God that he looks past that facade and looks right deep within our hearts and says, I know, I know. I see your smiles, but I know, I know what's going on. And I want to fix that. I want to help that. I want to heal that. And I pray this morning that you come more and more to know the God who wants to do that, the God who wants to deal with what is going on in the inside, more and more that he wants to take away the fear that often grips us, the fear that often stumbles us, and he wants to, rather than give us fear, he wants to give us something else, other things that kindle a fire for him, a, fear, a, love, a love for him, a power that comes by his spirit, a self-control that, is, that is, um, uh, enables us to live the way Christ lived. So I pray this morning that's, uh, that's your experience. You know, um, I, I believe that uh, God, God has a real, real heart for, for uh, this role we call mums or motherhood. And I want to read a passage this morning from, um, from 2 Timothy. If you go with me to 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And I want to read, a, a, a just, I want to start with one verse. We'll read, we'll read more verses this morning. But just to start us off, I want to just read one verse from this, from this chapter. So 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And uh, just, let's go, just, just go to verse 5 uh, to begin with. Verse 5 to begin with. And it's a, it's a verse that I'm sure lots of you are, uh, are very, are very uh, familiar with. But uh, Timothy, of course, is one of, those, one of those disciples in the New Testament that was cared for largely by uh, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul you know, uh, cared for Timothy like he was his own son in the faith. And so he really, 
He really watched out for Timothy. And I would imagine he poured so much into Timothy's life to instill and to build this faith that God wanted him to have. But Timothy didn't, it wasn't just the Apostle Paul that, that uh, fed into Timothy's life. It wasn't just Paul, of course. Timothy was surrounded by people who also cared for him. And one of those people was, was his mum, uh, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And so they were, they were such an example to, to, to Timothy in his early years, in his formative years. They were such an example to Timothy that Paul felt it necessary to acknowledge them in this letter, in this epistle. Now, maybe he did this because he was getting, uh, we, we understand he's getting to the end of his life, the Apostle Paul. He's, he's in chains, he's in prison, and it's probably uh, the last time he's really going to, well, it's getting like the last days of his life, so to speak, or the last season of his life. So maybe he's doing this because he wants to really remind Timothy of the people in his life that are really special, you know, because he's not going to be here for long. But whatever the reason being, he actually wants to acknowledge that the support and the love and the care, but most importantly, the faith that both Eunice and Lois had on Timothy's life. And so let's just, just read this verse to start us um, off this morning. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, we'll come back to this later, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And this is a beautiful verse because he's saying, you know, uh, Timothy, I, I can see, I, I remember that you have a very genuine faith. You have a very sincere faith. He says, I see this in you. I know this about you. But I also know that it dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and it dwelt first in your mother Eunice. And I know that it's also now uh, in you. And I think about these, this verse and I think about what Paul is trying to communicate and and I think to myself, wow, what a beautiful role, what a beautiful, what a privilege rather that the Eunice and Lois had in Timothy's life. What a priceless responsibility that they had to raise a young man in the faith, to be like an example of, of, of faith, to a boy that was like a sponge, just soaking in everything that he saw, everything that he heard, everything that he watched and observed. He was just like a sponge, soaking it in so much so that their whole life, their genuine faith was able to wash over him and, and do something in his life. And I think to myself when I read this verse, just how, how, how beautiful and how priceless the role of mums are, how, 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 how priceless it is for them to be able to pour into the lives of young people. Now I know and I understand that it's not always a role that is recognized. In fact, in fact it amazes me how much how often it's criticized before it's recognized. How often the, the, the mistakes that mums make are highlighted before all the effort that they put in. I, I get that. And I know that happens. It's a temptation that children have. It's a temptation to always look at what their mums are not doing compared to what their mums are doing. It's a temptation that husbands have to always look at what their wives are doing rather than what they're not doing. It's a temptation. And I get the fact that it's one of those things that really a lot of the, a lot of the times the, 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 the beauty and the, the how priceless it is is not recognized often. Nor is it actually acknowledged that it's actually that it's considered to be such a, a wonderful gift that God has enabled or allowed us allowed them to have. 
Nor is it even a role that is often thanked. Can you think of a more thankless role? The amount of hours and time and energy and tears that goes into this role we call motherhood. And this, this role that, is, that people pour out their life for. Sometimes, you know, um, night and day often. While they're still trying to be a friend and a, a wife and a, and, a, and a daughter to their own parents. and Whatever it is, they don't stop being people to other people. And yet there is this very vulnerable gift that God has given them that they have to pour so much into. And often it's a very thankless role. Yet in the eyes of God, it's priceless. In the eyes of God, it's gifted. In the eyes of God, it's equipped and it's um, designed by him. Because if God had a better design, he would have thought of a better design. But he designed this thing called motherhood because he knew he needed a shepherd to care for his children in the home. And he called them mums. Isn't that beautiful? And I think if there's anything that touches the heartstrings of God, that will have to be the tears of a mum who endures much suffering for the sake of her children. If there's anything that touches his heart, it would have to be the sweat and tears of those who shepherd the young, the young in, this, in this world. And I think as a church, we need to um, uh, unashamedly, unashamedly acknowledge the beauty and the responsibility that our mums have. And before I go on this morning, I want to just pray for them. I want to take a moment to pray for them. I want to pray for them, and I want to share a few more verses about this because I think, uh, I think it's quite, quite precious, it's quite beautiful. Uh, and then I want to also just unpack some of these verses in this, in this beginning of this chapter here this morning. So I pray that the Lord does bless and, and works uh, uh, by His Spirit in this. But let's take a moment to pray for, for those who are with us this morning uh, who continue to pour out this this role, this, this love that we call motherhood, that we continue to pray for them, that God gives them strength and wisdom and that there is good support around them by their children and their partners uh, as they do what they do before the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the time of worship that we had. You're a good God and you came and you set us free. And Lord, this morning we want to acknowledge and recognize the most beautiful responsibility that you've given our sisters, Lord, to, to raise up a generation for you, to shepherd and to teach and to encourage and to pastor these, these young minds in their homes. And Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable and equip them and empower them and grant them peace. Grant them purpose, vision, faith to see beyond the day-to-day. And to be able, Lord God, to, be, to understand the, the power that you are, are, are giving them to do what they have to do. Father, I pray for their children and their husbands and other people around them that there would be a spirit of understanding and, and compassion, a spirit of gentleness and kindness as they, as they work together to allow your kingdom to come, Lord, on this earth and for your will to be done. Father, we pray. We pray your blessing upon every home, those that are here with us today and those who are watching, wherever they may be, Lord, I pray your mighty hand be upon them. As we listen to your word, open our hearts that we may be ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God bless you as you continue to do the work that you do. Um, the, the, Bible, the Bible does speak a lot about this topic, and I want to just, just spend a few minutes uh, just highlighting a few things in this, because I think it's really, again, it's timely. I feel honored to be able to do this on these sort of mornings, uh, and I want to be able to do it, and I want to do it um, because I believe, I believe before the Lord it's something that we should be, that we should be reminded of. But um, the, Bible speaks a lot about, the Bible speaks a lot about the role of mums. You, you know that, yeah? You know that. It's not, it's not, it's not a new thing to you. Uh, and regardless of our experiences, whether we've had some really wonderful, amazing, incredible experience of our own mums, or sadly, whether we've had some really, really horrific experiences of our own mums, and regardless of where we are, because, because I'm not naive to know that people have experienced the whole spectrum, uh, what, what, regardless if it's been amazing or it's been really traumatic, that's not what defines what mums are. Thankfully for us, and fortunately for us, we have something that goes beyond our experience that becomes our standard, and that's the Word of God. And the Word of God is able to bring us back, if you like, to a beautiful blueprint of what God said motherhood should be. And that way we can filter our understanding, not through our experiences, but through the Word of God. And so we come to God's Word and we're able to see how God Himself esteems this role in a great way. So we're able to then come back and understand that despite our experiences, we're also, we also ought to esteem this in the way God does. And I want to highlight a few things to you. For God to be able to explain himself, do you know what he does in the Bible? When God chose to explain and describe himself, he chose on different occasions to describe himself in light of what a mum does. Work that out. Work it out for a moment. He's trying to say to people, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what I'm like. I want to tell you what I'm like, and I'm going to use the description of a mum. He could have done anything. He could have used anything. He could have used words beyond our understanding or reason so to blow our mind away. But he says, no, no, let me, let me describe it in light of a mum. So he says this in Isaiah. That's a prophet in the Old Testament. He says this, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Look at that. He decides to describe his comfort to his people in light of the way a mother comforts his children. Because he wants the people to understand, to feel, and to experience what he's like. I'll comfort you just like a mother comforts her child. Isn't that beautiful? That we understand a God who is both just and righteous, holy and pure. Now a God, he wants to describe himself as a comforter. And he says, just like a mum comforts her child. And so when we feel a sense of despair and discouragement, we come and we sit in the arms of God and we think, Lord, comfort me as a mother comforts her child. And we understand this comfort and this sense of peace that emerges because we realize that his spirit, his spirit is there surrounding us by this same comfort, the same way that we see it done in a human sense. So God, God compares himself to mums. In another place, God decides that he wants to place special honor to this role. He says this in, in Proverbs 23. He says this, listen, he's talking to the children. He says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she's old. 
Because what he wants to do here, not only now is he describing himself in line of mums, he wants to elevate or honour or esteem this role. And he says, you know what? What I want you to do is this. When your mum gets old, don't despise her. Because there is this tendency that as, as people get older, there's this tendency to sort of maybe be more neglectful. And he says, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do the opposite to despising them. Even if they become a little bit grumpy. Even if they become a little bit cranky. Even if they become a little bit opinionated. Even if they become a little bit set in their ways. Whatever it might be, don't despise them. Honour them. And I think that's a beautiful thing because what's the opposite to despise? I was looking up some words that describe the opposite to despise. Yeah, And there's so many words that, that describe it. But words like love, favour, adore, treasure... That the older she gets, just continue to adore her. The older she gets, see it more like a treasure. The older she gets, let it be precious. And God wants to esteem and honour this role so much because that was his plan. He designed her to order to, for her to feed and to pastor and shepherd when they're little. So when they're old, they're not despised. And how neglectful and selfish and, and, and so, so um, egocentric for, of us to, to think that and as they get older, somehow that we don't need them anymore. You know? Oh, it's all right. They've done their job. Let's just, no. This is role that God, God has, has um, given in order for us to esteem. He says, don't despise. Next, God grants responsibility to them. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 1. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and listen, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. That there is this responsibility that the father instructs, and you get this sense that this mother is teaching. You get this sense that every day, every day, she's taking every opportunity to feed and to teach, to encourage and to build the culture and the life of this young person. He says, don't forsake the instructions or the teachings of your mother. As she comes every day and takes every opportunity not to be critical, but rather to build. And how many times do parents, rather than actually take the opportunity to make it a teaching moment, they take the opportunity to be harsh and critical on a situation. And, and I think what the Bible is encouraging us always to do is to look for ways to build and teach our children. And he says to them here, he says, look... Uh, he says to the children, don't forsake her teaching because what she's giving you is good, it's godly, it's helpful. And if you weren't raised in a Christian home, then you need to still understand there are things that your mother taught you that is still good. More so if you were blessed by the teachings of the word in your home. So it's interesting that in these last stages of life, yeah, in the last few breaths of the life of the Lord Jesus, it's interesting, in light of all that we've read, that he's hanging on the cross. He's about to die. Presumably, we're told, his father has already died. And there is his mum next to John. And the only thing he can think about is, oh, there's obviously a few things he's thinking about, but the one thing that can't leave his mind is what's going to happen to my mum when I'm gone. Isn't that amazing? And so in that pain, as he hangs on the cross, in that pain, he turns around and says, he looks at her and says, behold your son. And then he looks at John and he says to his disciple, behold your mother. 
And the Bible says, and from that time or from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Isn't that beautiful? That even in his last breath, he could still think about his responsibility of his mum and, and, and the furthest thing from his mind was to despise, but rather to treasure, to love, adore and favour. I think God is good. God is so good that he gives us these things and what we need to do is just take a step back and just be a little bit understanding and sensitive and aware of just how much pressure goes into this role, how much God esteems it and how much we can add rather than take away from it. Maybe you know someone who just needs a hand. Maybe you know someone who just needs a bit of an encouraging word. Maybe you know someone who just needs a practical support in some way because they're just doing it hard with their own little kids or whatever it might be, or even their teenage kids. And they just need some support and love and care that you can demonstrate love, adoration, treasure, pricelessness to them because they're doing the work of God. You get that? I love sharing what kids say about different things. If you know me, you know I like doing that. And one child was asked this, how did God make mothers? Do you want to know his answer? He said this, he used dirt, right? He's probably some Christian kid that grew up in a Christian home that learns about creation. He goes, he used dirt. And then he says, or he or she says, just like the rest of us, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. God made my mum just the same like he made me. He just used bigger parts. <laughs> what I love about this is that he said, plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. Because I reckon he's stirring his mum and think, man, she's like a superhero, you know? Because everything she does. God sees it like this, if you like. And we ought to do the same thing. Think about it. Perhaps if we touch... If we, if we poke, perhaps we're poking also the eye of God. You know, rather than actually find ways to build and esteem them in their role. So Paul, Paul want, wanted to highlight just, just how precious Eunice and Lois were to Timothy. He wanted to highlight this. But of course there's a context. And the context, I think, what Paul is doing as he's getting to the end of his life, he's trying to really remind Timothy of who's in his life and what he still needs to do. Timothy, I'm going one day soon. Like, I'm sensing this is the end of my life. But I want to remind you of people who are really important to you and what I want you to do when I'm gone. And so he starts to write this second letter to him. And you get a sense that that he's getting a sense he's coming to the end of his life. He's saying things like, Timothy, bring my coat with me. I don't want to freeze in the jail. And bring the, the notes with you. And he's, he's just wanting to, perhaps to wrap things up. And in this introduction to this letter, he says this. Let's go from verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And as kind of in traditional Pauline style, what he does, he, he introduces what he has in Christ. And he says, you know what, I'm telling you something, Timothy, I have the promise of life. <laughs> you know, don't worry what happens to me, Timothy. Don't worry about what's going in my life. I might be in prison. I might be chained up. The people in this world might think that they've got me. But I tell you the truth, I have the promise of life. 
And I reckon the truth is the opposite. There are people who are not in prison who, who don't have the promise of life and people who are in prison who have the promise of life because it's got nothing to do with what the circumstances are around you, but rather that you are in Christ. Your freedom isn't to do with the fact that you're not in a prison cell. Your freedom is to do with the fact that you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have been saved by him, that you are in the work of God. And so he says this is the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Because once you can confidently say that you are in Christ Jesus, because this is not a small thing to say, these, these two words are not small, yet they, are, they, they do so much, they bring so much power and purpose into our lives. You need to be able to say that I am in Christ. You don't say I'm in Christ and then you live totally opposite to him and speak totally opposite to him. That's hypocrisy and Paul addresses that sh- shortly. He says what it is, it's that you've got to say you're in Christ and when you're in Christ, you're loved by Christ and you're empowered by Christ to live the way he called you to live. And so when we say that we're in Christ, it changes everything that we do as people. It changes the way we are as, uh, um, as couples, it changes the way that we are as individuals, it changes the way we are as workers, as parents, as teenagers, whatever it might be. It changes who we are and it takes the words I can't to become I can because you're in Christ. You don't say, I can't do, I can't love that person. I can't respect that person. I can't honor my mum. You you don't say these things anymore because you're in Christ. In Christ destroys the ability to say, I can't do something if it's God's will. If it's not God's will, do whatever you want to do. But if it's God's will, then all of a sudden the words, I can't, are smashed. Do you understand? I'm not talking about, you know, I'm going to learn how to run 10 kilometers because I'm in Christ. No, that's not what the scriptures are talking about. But can I love the one who hurt me? Can I forgive the one who offended me? Can I go to the extra mile to the one that's oppressing me? Whatever it might be. Yes, in Christ I can. And all of a sudden, this is the, this is the flavor of Scripture. This is what the Scriptures are, are saying. So I want, you, I want, to get you, to, I want you to hear these, these, some, some of these verses. Second Corinthians says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. Did you get that? Now thanks be to God who always leads us to victory or to triumph in Christ. And then because of this, through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. This is what's beautiful, because as you're walking in the victory of Christ, what happens is you, you you know, those diffusers in your home? You walk into someone's home, you think, oh, that's a nice smell, you know? But what the Bible is saying, that we were the original diffusers, okay? That when you are in Christ, triumphantly walking, again, not with ego and a sense of being macho, not that. Triumphantly walking is a victory over sin. It's a victory over self. When you're triumphantly walking like this, you become a fragrance to others, a, a diffusing of, of beautiful fragrance to those who are in hopelessness and addiction and bondage. Do you get that? Because all of a sudden you can say, I can, you can in Christ. 
And listen to 2 Corinthians again in chapter 5 this time. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because it doesn't matter what your life experience has been in, in, in your own upbringing. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. God has washed away, washed away all your guilt, all your shame, all your embarrassment, all the things that you would be horrified if someone shared with us as a church. He's washed it away. Don't go looking for it. Simple. So we are a new creation. And what, but this is in Christ again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is, Paul is saying here, the promise of life, which is in Christ. So he's trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, I know things aren't looking good and you're probably really sad. You're probably even crying. You're probably weeping for me, Timothy. I get that. I understand that's how much you love me. But I want to remind you something, Timothy. There's the promise of life. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says this. It's beautiful. He says, To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And what he does here is that what Paul is trying to do now is connect to Timothy on a level that perhaps Timothy can understand. And he says, Timothy, you're my beloved son. I see you like a son in the faith. I see you like part of me. You're part of me. You're, you're, we're, we're family, Timothy. We're family, Timothy. And, I, and I, what I love about this is that Paul, what Paul is doing here, he's reminding Timothy and he's reminding us just how much uh, uh, the faith establishes a family unlike what we understand. It's a family that is so connected that there is no um, hatred for one another, but rather love. And he says here, you are Timothy. You are Timothy, my beloved son. Not favoritism. You know, if people took the principles of the Bible in this world, we would have communities that are healthy and thriving. Did you know that? I believe that. We, would have, we, we wouldn't have to be talking about respectful relationships and consent and all these things that the schools are developing. We wouldn't have to be even be speaking about these things if people were committed to the principles of Scripture. I want to I show you something. Go back, go back to one chapter, to chapter 5 of the last... Oh, sorry, two chapters. Chapter 5 of his first letter. Just, just for a couple of minutes, I want to show you something. Chapter 5 in, Timothy, in Paul's Timothy, in, in the first letter to Timothy, he wrote, he gives them a picture of what relationships should look like in the church, what Christian relationships look like, what healthy relationships look like. He says this, chapter 5, Do not rebuke an older man. Well, that's common sense, isn't it? What do you, why, are you wondering, why are you trying to rebuke an older man for? Like, seriously? A bit of respect. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Would you do something unhealthy to a brother? Would you do something promiscuous to a brother? I mean, seriously, come on. Would you look upon them and... And think of them in ways that you shouldn't as a brother. No, of course not. But he wants us to, this is the family of God. 
uh, older women as mothers. Now, you know, how old's old? I don't know. One year older than me? Ten years older than me? I don't know. But just older women as mothers. Let there be, let there be such a respect that when we look at someone older in the faith, sister in the Lord, the heart goes out like a mother. Uh, younger women as sisters. And look at this, with all purity. That speaks volumes. We could spend hours talking about this verse. Younger women as sisters. Let the relationship be between young men and young women. Let it be such, in such a case that it's like brothers and sisters, respectful, proper, pure relationship with one another. Isn't that great? No funny business in the church. Because this is the blueprint of God. This is God's blueprint for a holy, pure fellowship. This is where if the people of this world took this, these principles, that we, we wouldn't have issues like we have today. So younger women as sisters with all purity. But Paul... Highlighting this idea of a family, says Timothy, sorry, back to chapter 1, Timothy, um, a beloved son, you are to me. And in verse 3, he says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, they're like the, the, the men of old, the men and women of old, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. I serve with a pure conscience. You know, um, one day maybe we'll talk about the conscience. It's a, it's a beautiful gift that God has given us. But for the sake of today, let me tell you, let me describe it like this to you. The part of you, let me really lay terms, yeah, really, really simple terms. The part of you that you know about you that no one else does. That you know about you and that God knows about you but no one else does. That conscience, this part of you that you know that even if outwardly you look like you're doing the right thing, but inwardly, you know, your conscience tells you. And you can't hide from it. You can't run, yet you can sear it, you can damage it. But really, at the end of the day, you can't run from it. At the end of the day, what you're doing is it's there, it's part of your existence, it's a gift from God. And thank God we have a conscience. Do you imagine if we, God gave us not, God didn't give us a conscience? And so what we want to do, Paul says, I, I've served with a pure conscience. What I've done is I've lived as I ought to live before God and before men. I have done what Jesus would do. So my conscience is pure. It's not defiled. It hasn't been um, tainted with hypocrisy. It is genuine. It's pure. I haven't dirtied it. And I think as Christians, what we need to know is that when Paul says this, he's saying to Timothy, I think he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to do what I'm doing. If you're going to take this baton I'm going to pass on to you, then you need to run with it with a pure conscience. You need to be prepared. People are going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to mock you. They're going to laugh at you. They even, might even imprison you. But you need to do it with a pure conscience. You need to know that you are 
um, uh, living the way Jesus would live. Verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So Paul's hoping that Timothy comes to him. And Paul's conscious that Timothy has been crying. I'm mindful of your tears. And maybe someone's told Paul, oh, you should see Timothy's beside himself. He's just so upset for you. Maybe, maybe that's the reason for his tears. I don't know. It makes sense. That could be the reason. Maybe there's tears for other reasons, but whatever it is, Paul says, I'm mindful of them. Like a father who sees his child crying, is, I'm mindful of this. I understand the pain. I experience it with you. I know what you're experiencing, and I want you to come, because when you come, boy, you're going to be comforted, and my joy is going to be full. What a beautiful relationship. This is the family of God. Not like, oh, there's so-and-so's come to church today. This is the family of God. But you want to do it with a pure conscience. You don't want to sit in a fellowship. You don't want to be part of a fellowship and, and, and be satisfied with just warming a seat. That's not a pure conscience. It's being part of a family. It's fellowship. It's, it's, it's being Christ to one another. It's rubbing shoulders with each other. It's, it's challenging and confronting and loving and caring one another. This is the fellowship because this is the family. And there are di- days that things go wrong and that's okay. That's a family. But we work it out. And there's forgiveness and there's love and there's restoration. It's a family. And Paul says, Paul's talking to Timothy like a father. And that's why he says in verse 5, because I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which is also dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is also in you. Because this is the influence, that, as I was saying before, that mums and grandmothers have. Never underestimate your influence. Uh, you know, you, you, you um, are light in darkness. You are truth among lies. Please never become grumpy. Stay godly. Because this is what God has called us to. And young people, when you look at your parents, and anyone who's young enough to have Christian parents with us today, young people, when you look at your Christian parents today, what do you see? Do you see something real? Or do you see something fake? I don't know. What do you see? But I tell you the truth, if you see something real, then what do you want? What do you want more than that? Because do you need something more? Do you want, do you want to go find something better than that? If you, what you see is real, then that's all you need. That's what you've got. You've got what you need. Unless you think there's something better out there, that you can have. These are the influence, this is the power, this is the love that is poured into homes, poured into people's lives. And so um, God is equipping us to be this to, to each other and to our children. Verse 6, therefore I remind you, uh, oh, this is, I'll, I'll wrap it up in a moment, but this is a beautiful verse. Timothy, Paul saying to Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
<laughs> Paul is saying to Timothy, he's Timothy, I want to remind you something here. You've got to start stirring up, Timothy. You know, it's time to maybe carry the baton. You've got to start stirring up this gift in you. This stirring up is a kind of like a word of, how can I explain it? You know uh, when you might have a, a campfire and, and it's like the ambers, you've had a fire and the ambers have, have kind of, it's every, the flames have, have you know, reduced and it's down to ambers. Um, and then you think to yourself, okay, we want to start up the fire again. So you get your kindling, don't you? You go get little twigs and little bits of, bits of wood and you, you, do, you get this kindling so you can then flame that fire again. You get it growing again and blaring, glaring again, blaring again. Yeah? That's what you do. So this is what, what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, I want you to kindle up that gift in you. I want you to stir it up. Flame it. And I don't think what Timothy, Paul's saying to Timothy is he needs to somehow wake up because Timothy was asleep because that's not the context of what he's trying to say here. I just think what Paul is telling to Timothy is Timothy, not so much you've got to wake up, but now it's time to step up. It's time to step up and get this flame going again because there's much ahead of you to do. And I wonder if that's what God's trying to say to you today. Maybe, hang on, so let's go back a step. Maybe God's saying it's time to wake up. Maybe there's no flame at all. There's no amber at all. It's just cold, coal. And God's saying, you've got to wake up. But let me, let me assume that maybe for some it's like, yeah, sort of going along in their Christian walk and they're doing what they've got to do and they're coming to church and they're reading the Bible and they're going to a Bible study. But now it's time to step up. Flame it. Kindle it. Let it be. On fire, let it be like Christ was. Let it be, let it grow, let it become what it has to become. And what Paul's saying, Timothy, you want to stir up, you want to kindle this gift that you have been given. Why? And we'll finish with this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Because I think what fear does, I think fear smothers the fire. Yeah, you think so? I think fear smothers a fire. I think what fear does, fear, fear basically says, you know, um, um, can't do this. It's too much. It's too big. It's too hard. It's gone on for too long. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the fear does. Fear smothers it. But rather, he says, because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or, or self-control. Because though fear smothers, love, power, and self-control kindle. And this is what Christ was. The Lord Jesus Christ was a man who lived out of love. He wasn't driven by what pleased him or what made him happy. He was driven by what others needed. Like he was driven by love. It wasn't selfish. It was selfless. He was driven by power. He realized that he went with the power granted to him. It wasn't something that he could just do in human strength. And he went with self-control. He wasn't someone that was moved easily by frustrations and envy and jealousy of what someone had or, or, or complaining of other people or bitterness in some way that distracted him so much that all of a sudden he had no self-control. He was driven by what needed to happen. 
So he was driven by love, power, and self-control. These are the things that kindle the fire. And this morning, if fear smothers it, then take the advice of Paul and stir it up. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. God has given you a spirit of love and power and self-control. That we would be, if you like, like Timothy, we would read the words of the Apostle Paul and say, okay, I'm ready. Here, give me the baton. I'm ready. And then who am I going to hand it to? Because I can't do this on my own. You know, as the church continues to grow, we can't two or three people do it on their own. So the baton goes out to people to stir up. But if you're just comfortable sitting and listening, as long as I get my good message, that's not what Paul's saying. We step up. And let it be God that works in you, both to do of his good pleasure in you. He wants to do that work. Allow God to do the work to accomplish the work that he started in you. For me, that's exciting. For me, that's an opportunity, it's a privilege, it's an honor to be doing this work. But the choice is yours. God has called us to the promise of life. And this morning, I pray that you would um, look at the life you're living and maybe evaluate and think, is this, is this the promise of life? And ask the Lord Jesus Christ this morning to bring back the, what is truly life, the promise of life, in us. That we would truly become uh, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Let's pray this morning. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to continue to, to uh, bless the work that is being done all over the church. Uh, from our mums that are working tirelessly to the people who are coming up on the stage and who sing, who sing and worship together with us, to the people in the back room who are doing childcare and Sunday school, to the people in the kitchen, the people on Zoom, the, the whole thing, and you, and you sitting here today. Let's continue to pray that the Lord stirs up, that we would step up. Love for God and love for those around us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift that you've given us in life. This promise of life that is just uh, beyond us, our reach, our ability, the Lord, you have granted us, you've gifted us with this. I pray that you would uh, remind us and enable us and equip us to, to, to kindle love and power and self-control. Father, I pray once again for all our mums in this church and those outside of this church as well that we know that you continue to be uh, with them, that you remind them, uh, you strengthen them, that you encourage them. And for those who don't know you, we pray that you bring them to yourself. We thank you, Father, for your love. We pray your blessing on this fellowship and this day in Jesus' name. Amen.